You are listening to Word Up, a place where we share our stories because who we are matters. I know you're going to enjoy the conversation we have today with our special guest, Stan Lutit from Moose Factory First Nation. He is the bassist and vocalist for the band Midnight Shine and has been playing music and telling stories since he can remember. So uh, my, my big passion though this year is really working on, um, we have a new mandatory grade 11 English course that focuses on contemporary uh, First Nation, Métis and Inuit voices. So really trying to not only uh, encourage our staff to look at using Indigenous authors, but look at uh, non-text-based uh, storytelling. So how can we how can we incorporate and infuse that element of storytelling where music really falls into that? So I'm really excited that we have you. Want to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Ethan Maurer. I'm a member of B-Rail's First Nation and a grade 12 student at KLDCS. Also, like playing the piano and guitar. He's a really good piano player. <laughs> Yeah. He's not gonna upsell himself, but he's um, he's fantastic. Sorry, sorry, can I can I just ask a question? Like where yeah. where is your where is your First Nation located? Yeah, our reserves on Howard Lake. Yeah, we okay. have a reserve up there. Right on. Thanks. I'm Isabel Donaldson and I'm a teacher here at KLDCS. And I'm really excited to have you here with us. So one of the things that I'm really trying to consciously do when we do this podcast and we share it is to make sure that we always start with our student. Um, I just really feel like their voice is the one that should be heard first. So uh, we'll let Ethan ask you. I know he's really nervous about that, but we'll let, we'll let him ask you a couple of questions before uh, Isabel and I dominate conversation as we tend to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So how do you know that you wanted to be a musician? Well, you, you know what, I, I grew up um, in, in Moose Factory, right? And my parents used to go to church a lot, so I had to go to church with them, whether I wanted to or not. Uh, m- most of the time I was pretty cooperative, but as I got older, I, I, I wanted to, you know, as you're growing up as a teenager, you kind of want to do your own thing. But I first heard music in church. I heard the organ and the choir, and, you know, I had a Sunday school teacher. I think he was in grade seven, no, grade six or something like that. But we would go to Sunday school, and him and his wife would teach us. They would they would say, you know what, we're going to leave the church here, because we didn't have a Sunday school, right? You had to go into a certain section of the church. But he said, you know what, we're going to go to my house. So it would be me and a few other females, guys, we'd go to his house and he'd pull out this acoustic guitar and him and his wife would sing songs. And that's where I really got, you know, the sound of the acoustic. And then I started thinking I'd love to play that. And my sister bought me an acoustic guitar. So I was about maybe 11. I was getting a little bit older. And then I started putting energy into saying, you know, I'm going to learn this guitar. And I I had actually a mandolin too at that time. So I didn't know how to play them, but that's when I I think I first started thinking, oh, there's something here. Maybe, maybe I could excel at it. Uh, You guys in the Midway Shine are from different communities. How did you get, how did you get together to form a band? Um, Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you like, Adrian's from Attawapiskat, 
Zach is from Moose Factory. I'm from Moose Factory. And our original drummer, not Charnel at this point, our original drummer, George Gillies, he was from Fort Albany. So we, we really had a, a mixture of communities. And I knew George Gillies, and I kind of knew Zach. But what had happened was there was a First Nation youth concert going on in Timmins. And the people organizing it, I knew them, some of them, and they knew that I had been playing a lot over the years. So they asked me to be in the backing band of this concert. And one of the guys singing in it was Adrian, who I didn't know, right? I didn't know him at all. He just, I was given a tape of his music, I think about two or three songs. I was told, learn these, play them at at, it, this happened in Terrio High School in Timmins, by the way. And I was told, learn these. Adrian's coming from out of Wapiskan. He's going to sing. But I'll tell you a funny story. You just reminded me of something. You, you know, during that concert, it was a two-night two concert. And the first night, I did okay on Adrian's songs. And then the next night, for whatever reason, and people who perform or, you know, or artists who perform in audiences, sometimes you're going to lose your focus, right? Depends. doesn't matter if you're a musician. A speaker can do that. Anybody can, a teacher even in the class could lose their focus, right? So I, I, I made a big mistake on Adrian's song, right? And he, to this day, he, that's the thing he remembers from, yeah, I remember you screwed up my song, he said. <laughs> And I'm like, is that the only thing you remember? <laughs> what about all the good notes I played? <laughs> but, uh, but it's funny, that's how I met them. And you know what, uh, Ethan, um, I left there, right? It was only a two-day thing. And I remember getting on the plane, coming back to Mooslackery, thinking, well, I kind of screwed that up. I'll probably never hear from these guys again. You know, and I had no intention of really connecting with them again. So I just came back to Moose Factory and said, oh, you know what, just continue my own thing here. I'm playing in a couple of local bands here, you know, cover bands doing Rolling Stones and all that sort of thing. So I, I, I never really had any intention. But then George called me up again and said, hey, you know what, Adrian's going to play at the gathering of our people in uh, Moose Factory, and he wants you to come in again. And I thought, oh, okay. So that's how we, you know, got the ball rolling. And then we ended up opening for Trooper in Timmins because Adrian got that gig somehow from somebody who knew him. So Adrian was trying to get a band together, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure he, he probably didn't really want to have me there, but, I, I, you know, I was probably the only guy he knew maybe. So maybe I had a bit of luck there, so... So that's how we, sorry for the long answer, but that's. Uh... <laughs> that's awesome, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and you were just talking about um, having to leave Moose Factory for these uh, events, but can you talk about, you had to leave as well for school. How did, how did that distance from community affect you? You mean to go to Humber College for? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I. I had been out a little bit prior to that. I was, I was in my early 20s at that time. And 
I had been out to Timmins, you know, I had been on a school trip to Toronto, but I, at the time in grade, you know, in my grade seven years, grade eight years, and I, I, I always uh, thought Toronto was an exciting place back then when I was that young. But, you know, I was a big Rush fan, right, in grade eight. I still am a big Rush fan. And, uh, you know, I remember the school called Queen Elizabeth School in Mississauga, which is where we were boarding, right? And we were all put into, uh, what do you call that when you board with somebody? Uh, what's the word? Billets? You're billeted with somebody? So me and this guy from Oosmack, we get billeted with somebody out there. And then the next day, we all had to go back to the school. And it's the first time I ever seen an elementary school like that with so many kids, so many students. It's like packed in the hallways, right? And this is a grade seven class. I, I, I never experienced that before. And, and, but I, I distinctly remember when we were walking through the hallway. This was 1976, I believe. Something like that, 75, 76. But I remember hearing Closer to the Heart by Rush being played in the hallway on the PA. And I, I, I remembered I listened to Rush when I was in Moose Factory. I know I'm diverting into another story here, but, but I, I distinctly remember hearing Rush, Closer to the Heart, you know, it was great. And I was walking through there going, wow, this school's great, man. They have, they're listening to rock and roll. They're listening to good songs. And I suppose maybe that's where it started too, but, you know, go forward many years later, I, I, I thought I'm playing in bands in Moose Factory. I'm playing in cover bands. I'm sort of getting interested in something more deeper as you get older, right? You start to mature and you start thinking, is this all there is, Bon Jovi songs? Like, nah, you know, I don't want to spend my time. You know, I want something deeper. So that's when I thought I, I, I found the Humber College program and I thought, you know what, I'm going to apply to it. If I get in, I'll, I'll go down. And then when I, I actually got in, I was good enough, I guess. And then I got down and it was like a total culture shock to me. And then I thought, oh, man, I'm, I don't think I'm going to survive here because it was everything was so fast. You know, just getting to the college was was a difficult thing for me. But I but you, you rise to the challenge. Right. And I, and I think my interest overtook my uh you know, my, my lack of confidence. So I had to really build up my confidence to say, you know, I can do this, I can do this, I can, I can get to class. I was very quiet in class. I wasn't the guy that would put up my hand and offer, a, offer an answer, right? But I really paid, paid attention, and, and I thought that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, my first year of Humber, I really paid attention to music theory, you know, C major chord, you know, C notes, on, you know, you write them out on the staff, you learn all these things. And I, I kid you not, by, I, I started in September, I really worked on my theory. And by, I think it was December before we came home for Christmas, I had the highest mark in that theory class. Yeah. And the teacher actually said that. The teacher said, you know, we got a guy in here who's got a 95 in theory. And everyone's like, yeah, who the heck is that? <laughs> <laughs> it can't be Stan. He's from the north. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and I actually had the highest mark in music theory. And and you know what? I I still have that knowledge of music theory now. I use it on my keyboard. You, you know what I'm talking about, eh, Ethan? You know how to make chords. You know how. Yeah. It's like in your mind, right? You say, "Yeah, I know F. I know what a, ma- a minor chord is. I know what a major chord is." And uh, <laughs> it's good to have that knowledge because you know Adrian's the opposite. He doesn't have any of that kind of music knowledge. So when he's trying to describe something about how to play the song, I, I feel like he communicates really badly. <laughs> you know. But that's just me, I guess, because I, I'm kind of thinking, well, how far is it? Is it like four bars long? What are you talking about? Is it eight bars long? Or and he's like, well, it's up to this part. It's up to well, you know. <laughs> well, can you tell me? Is it four bars? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny. It's funny, but just picking up on that, you talked about it being a lot of fun. How much fun it is, and you definitely had an interesting career. Like you were. Um, part of a lot of bands, including Remedy, when you were nominated yeah. for an Aboriginal Music Award, yeah, which, of course, that. ended up getting an Aboriginal Music Award through yeah. Midnight Shine. But I just wonder, was, was there ever a point where you just thought, ah, oh, just giving up, like, forget all this? And, or has music always been a really strong, steady part of your life? I think, I think you know, well, uh, that's a good question, too. Um, I I kind of feel like ever since I was, uh, you know, 12 or 13, 14, I, I had a really good sister, an older sister, who was always encouraging me to, uh, once you write a poem or something, she'd say at home, right? And she was the one that actually bought me my first acoustic guitar. And she was, she was like your, my, your oldest, your, not oldest, but I had other sisters, but she was an older sister who was listening to a lot of cool music. Like, she listened to the Beatles. She was listening to Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I mean, she listened, her collection was really good, Led Zeppelin all. So, you know, I'd go in her room, and she'd be playing all this music. So I, I, ever since that time, uh, I guess I feel like I owe a lot to her because she really was saying, hey, you should check this out. Check out this Woodstock album. You know, the original Woodstock concert, right? I was like, wow, it's like CCR. She'd be playing CCR, Janis Joplin, on, you know, all this is all vinyl. And I, I kind of feel like ever since that time, I, I've always felt there's something creative that I feel like I have to, that's part of me. And I feel like it's... I feel like sometimes I, 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 I tap out rhythms sometimes when I'm sitting somewhere or I, you know, have to write something down or, or I have to go to the piano eventually just to do something. But just been like that. And I feel like it's just a natural journey I'm, I'm on, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Okay, so you've traveled a lot with the band. Where was your favorite place to play? The the place that I really that sticks out in my mind is the Ottawa Blues Festival, uh, and we played there right in was it twenty seventeen or something twenty somewhere in there twenty seventeen twenty sixteen, but the reason why I really like that one sticks out to me is because prior to being in Midnight Shine, 
I used to go to the Ottawa Blues Festival, right? I used to be in the audience, and I used to be with my friends from Ottawa, and we'd, we'd be there listening to a band, right? And I, I remember this one time I was standing in the crowd with my friends. I was looking at the main stage, and I saw the way the bands were playing and how good it looked, and I thought, man, it'd be awesome to be up there doing what those guys are doing, you know? And so lo and behold, with Midnight Shine, we end up on that stage, right? And not only that, we end up on the same, it's the last day of the Ottawa Blues Festival, and they always have a headliner at, in the nighttime when you go to these festivals, right? Tom Petty was the main headliner that night. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And I, I kid you not, that was like, wow, I'm on the same stage that Tom Petty's going to be on after. And when, when we had finished, you know, first off, it was awesome just standing up there looking in the crowd. And, you know, I, I think I tried pulling off a few rock star moves, too. <laughs> you know, here, here's my opportunity to, you know, try to do the... <laughs> but it was awesome being up there. My family was out there, too. Some of my sisters and my cousins were... So they were all cheering on, and I was like, oh, man, this is... But that, that was really... Uh, that, I think that was the most exciting time. That's cool. Ethan gives him something to look forward to. He's played the the KLDCS auditorium and had the crowd going wild. So maybe yeah. okay. <laughs> well, you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, you got to start somewhere. I mean, it's good uh, you do that. I'm wondering. So, Heart of Gold, when when that translation came through in that video, it received a lot of attention, uh, and it, we were just listening to it actually yeah, before we, song. yeah, yeah, before yeah. we um, before we in, started the interview. But I'm just wondering how how um, and can you talk about the importance of language maybe for you, uh, and because that translation was so powerful for so many. Yeah. Um. I, I really, you know what, I really enjoy singing that Cree part with Adrian because we, we kind of, he sings the main part and then I'll sing the harmony to it in Cree, just for that part in Cree. And then we sing the harmonies, well, throughout the whole song, but but I, I really feel it's something special when we start singing in Cree on that section. And uh, it, it, we've gotten so many good comments from people, from non-Native people, after our shows to say, wow, that, that Cree section was really good. But I, I, I feel like the language is really important there. And it, it's kind of empowering in some ways, because when you're up there singing in Cree, you kind of feel like, wow, I'm able to pronounce some of the Cree words. Adrian's a lot better at it than me, but he speaks very fluently, right? Whereas I'm sort of 50, I, I can speak not badly, but uh, it's probably like a, a children's Cree. But uh, but uh, it does feel good when I'm up there. I kind of feel like, well, I am Cree and I'm singing in Cree. And it's important to for me to be able to do that. I, I realize now, as an older person, we gotta we we have to speak our language as much as we can. I think because it, it connects us with our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, 
who spoke Cree on the land. They spoke Cree in the in the camps. It's uh, it's a beautiful language. Sometimes it's really a funny language too if you hear things in in Cree and Ojibwe. <laughs> but it, yeah, that's that's my take on the language thing. Your composition Jane's theme it ends in a really powerful way with an image of your grandmother making a net. And that seems to be it's a theme with a lot of your compositions and your music is the importance of family and land. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's I think when I when I look when I think about you know my videos, not not the shine ones particularly, but the shiners like that too. But I, I don't know, I, I think when you live up here, like in Moose Factory in James Bay, on the land, you you are part of the. It it feels like the land is bigger than you, anyways. First off, right? We're a pretty small community. The bay is huge. James Bay is huge. The land is huge. So when you're when you're on it, you you kind of get that sense that wow, there's something uh, very very long and deep here. There's a deep history in the land, and there's a real um, sense of something there. That's why sometimes, uh, I was telling Adrian once when we were driving in a vehicle down south somewhere, and uh, I was telling him, uh, he he asked me, he said, are you going to go hunting this year? And I said, I don't know. It was like the springtime, and that's when all of us would generally go hunting, right? And I said, I don't know. I, I I feel sad when I'm on the land, I said to him. And he said, Yeah, you know what? You know what you're feeling? He said, There's a lot of there's a lot of our people feeling sad about our ancestors and our parents and our grandparents. And so and I said, you know, it's funny you say that. I said, because I, I love going on the land, but it reminds me of my parents, it reminds me of my grandparents. And it reminds me of Jane, Sachini Banuko, my, my grandmother in the video, who was making a net, fixing a net, right? She was setting nets. And, it, and I guess the land reminds me of that. It reminds me, you know, when I see the sun, you see my videos, I got these suns, and, and it, it reminds me of our people way back that would have had to live on the land like that. They would have saw those sunsets. They would have saw, you know, the way the land looks, the way the marshes look. So my videos are very, very focused on that. And I try to write music that enhances the emotion of it because that's how I'm feeling. You know, the emotions are in me and I'm trying to translate that in into the into the images too and it's just I, I find the land the river everything about about it the sky everything here is a huge part of um, what I think Adrian and I Zach and Midnight China are trying to do but it it's uh, this COVID thing has given me an opportunity to try to do that with my own videos and you know, it's a, it's a way almost to, to connect back with your parents, all your grandparents. It's a way to connect with the land and sort of feel like 
you know, I'm, I'm not always on the land like my, my ancestors were, but I can feel what they must have been, what they were doing on the land, and I can feel who they were, and, and I really feel that's important. That's sacred. That's sacred stuff going on there, you know? So that's, that's in my own small way I'm trying to promote that kind of thing, you know? So, and it, and, and it, you know what it is too, it's, it's probably on my part, a personal sadness and yearning and mourning uh, for your own family, your own parents, your own, and some of the tragedies that actually happened on the land too, because we do have those. So it, it's, and I guess, you know, you know, one Creole, you know, our, our parents used to say, you know, don't fool around on the land because, you know, sometimes we were young and stupid, right? We'd fool around on the land. We'd drive wildly on the boat or we'd, you know, laughing away. And parents would always say, you know, you'd be careful on the land because it's beautiful, but it can also take you very quickly. So they had this really respect for the land, the respect for the animals. The res- don't litter. They used, you know, used to tell us that if you... If we, were, if we were going up a river to go fish or hunt, they, they would tell you, you don't, you don't leave a mess on the land. You don't touch anybody else's stuff, too. You respect people. If you see elders out there, you see people who need help, then you go and help them, too. So that, there was a lot of things uh, attached to the land. So and that's, I just wish I was a better hunter on the land. um while you're while we're talking about the land um you've worked a lot uh for moose Cree first nation uh on treaty rights yeah i'm I'm wondering can you could you tell us maybe what you think the biggest misconception is about treaty rights yeah you know that's a that's a difficult question too that's a great question but I I have um, spent a lot of time working for Moose Cree, and I, I think some of this interest went back to high school, too. When I was going to high school in Moosonia, I took Native studies and, you know, law at the senior level, and our, our, some of our teachers were introducing the treaty. I remember we were introduced to the Indian Act when I was in grade 12, and I thought, what a boring document like you know if <laughs> you ever read it do you ever read it oh I, it's like don't ever subject your students to that <laughs> like you know i i couldn't understand it was beyond me right and you know it was i found it really boring and, I, and he used to i remember to teach you well come on you guys are crees right what do you think of this indian <laughs> and he couldn't get anything out of us i guess because I guess we were sort of, I don't know, we're in our own worlds. The Indian Act wasn't something we had personal experience with, maybe. I don't know. But going forward in, into my uh, life later with school and university and stuff, I, I, I became more interested in it. And when I did actually work with the Moose Cree, I actually understood that the treaties are are actually misunderstood because people think 
Oh, that was 1905. That's a long time ago. That's done now. No, it's not done. It's like the treaty actually talks about people like Ethan and me who are under treaty number nine. And who did we sign it with? We signed it between us, the indigenous people, and the crown who represent Canada. So all the non-native people are actually part of the treaty too. We're like still, you know, together. And I, and I feel like people misunderstand the treaty too, particularly treaty number nine, where we do know it was a ripoff, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't uh, explain to our elders of the time, like 1905, that what they were presenting to us was a document to say that we can take any parts of your land if we, if we need it somewhere down the road. Our elders at the time thought our hunting, fishing, and trapping would be protected. And we now know over the years it, that has never been protected. And so that's why I, I feel all that is misunderstood. It's not even known by most of the non-Native people actually what the treaty is. And what, what I find really disturbing is, uh, you know, the Mi'kmaq thing that was just happening recently? Yeah, the fishing rights. Fishing rights. Where, where it actually says the Mi'kmaq have a right to fish and they can make a living out of, out of it if they want to. But it, it amazes me that the government goes in there to say, well, we better negotiate this. No. It's already been done. There's, there is no negotiation. So I, I feel that there's, there's quite a lot of misunderstanding. And there's, you know, I think, I think if we could figure out a way to communicate that and tell that much better, I, I, don't, I don't think there would be so much uh, conflict and hatred back to us indigenous people about what, you know, what the treaty says. So, Well, and I think one thing that people are always surprised to learn about our treaty too with Treaty 9 is that Duncan Campbell Scott was one of the lead negotiators. And that always kind of gives people pause to understand that that's, that's the mentality that was coming from the Crown when it came to the negotiation for our territory. Yeah. It's, you're absolutely right. I, I think, well, you know, with my work with the Moose Cree, we, we have agreements too right now with uh, the Ontario Power Generation. And we're constantly, you, you'd think it's over, right? You'd think this conflict and this, this sort of oppression would be gone, this sort of uh, systemic, you know, assimilation-type attitudes would be gone. I, I'm very surprised even now with my Moose Cree colleagues that it, it isn't gone and that we're always constantly asserting and trying to advocate for, for our agreements, try to advocate for our communities that it, you know, I, I often think if I wasn't there with some of my colleagues, what, what would be happening? Like we'd be overrun again. So it, it's, it, it really, um, it's really an eye-opener, you know, to, 
I, I kind of feel like you, you want to hope that Canada had advanced in a, in a lot of ways to reconcile a lot of things, but it kind of feels like it hasn't. And uh, I'm in meetings with my own Muscree colleagues, with with uh, people in power, and some of the things they say is, uh, "Wow, it's just something else." But but we're trying to, you know, um, we're we're trying to not react, but sort of find ways to talk to each other, better ways. And I just really want to thank you for your your honesty and for gracing us with, with such thoughtful answers and, and being so vulnerable and open in your, in your conversation with us today. Yeah. So Chimigwich for that. No, I, I feel, I feel safe. I feel safe when you guys, you know, I wouldn't be talking like this if I didn't feel like it was a good space to talk. And uh, uh, I, I kind of feel like uh, when I talk to you guys about things like this, I kind of feel like it's part of a, uh, uh, is it part of a healing process for, for all of us, right? It's, it's a kind of a supporting, you, you're supporting me, I'm supporting you guys. We're, 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 we're here together. I think that's, that's the message. Absolutely. We absolutely. are all in this together. So absolutely. I, I, it means a lot to me for you to say that. So thank you. Yeah. Um, on our on our sign out for this podcast to try to leave things in a in a light way, um, yeah. something called the fast five. So you didn't get these questions. <laughs> fast, five. <laughs> fast five. So these are no thinking. You've just got to spit out your answers. Oh man. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. They're not, <laughs> they're not super stressful. Don't worry. Okay. But, but we have had some funny answers from people in the past. <laughs> so uh, winter solstice. It's coming up. What do you do to renew your spirit? Play hockey. Awesome. Uh, who are you listening to right now? Music or podcast? Um, Willie's Roadhouse. All right. What's your favorite food for this time of year? Favorite food? Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> um, Marvel just released Indigenous Voices, the comic. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? God. Oh. Even <laughs> last one. If you could have lunch with any music, musician, living or dead, who would it, who would it be? <laughs> Jesus. Living or dead, uh, Getty Lee. Oh. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you. Good, good ones. And uh, I just really want to thank Ethan and Isabel for joining and for being a part of it today and for joining this conversation. It means a lot to us. That was Stan Lutet from the band Midnight Shine and teacher Isabel Donaldson and student Ethan Maurer from KLDCS. Join me next time with staff and students from Roland Michener Secondary School as we interview Wabagishik Rice, author of Moon of the Crested Snow. And if you have a few extra minutes to spare, keep listening. At the end of this podcast, I've included a short conversation between Ethan and Stan about resilience and identity. I think his words and advice are a good reminder for all of us. So until next time, fist down, word up.
is done beyond every stone you turn. Let truth be key to freedom and bind you to the path that holds the line. So, you know, like with identity, it's hard not to put yourself down. But, you know, that's what we do sometimes. Right? We start thinking about, geez, if only I could have done this or if only I was this. Or, and it's, it's a way that kind of inhibits you, I think. And it's hard to get out of that. Uh, and I, I would say just keep looking for ways in your own family, your own culture. If you can learn a bit of Ojibwe or Mohawk or wherever you're coming from, try to hold on to that. Try to learn some of the stories from your, your particular group. And try to, the important thing is try to bring those values of your particular group. Try to understand them and use them in your own life. Try to use them in, in the way you, you know, you know, those things where my parents would say, you know, you don't, don't talk to people in a bad way. Don't you help somebody if you see somebody stuck on the ice? You don't just drive by, right? You stop and you try to help and try to hold on to those those values so that you can take them with you if you go to Humber, not Humber, if you go to college, you go to university, you can take those 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 teachings of your parents, your grandparents with you, and they'll give you strength. It'll give you strength and your own personal power. Eventually, you stick with it. It'll give you your own personal power to say, I'm going to succeed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to this. And you keep doing that throughout, throughout your life. Like for myself, it's not, it hasn't ended. I'm still trying to figure out things, right? So, sorry, I, I didn't mean to go on and on about that. But. Yeah, 